And the idea that he stayed with us and like we were a part of, you know, the last few months of his life. I mean, that like held, held some weight to it. And it was something that I um, felt like I needed to share with entrepreneurs as well, because a lot of them are teachers and just recognizing that, you know, the student who might not be on your testimonial page, it, you know, you don't know what they're taking the course for, or what they're trying to do, or when the transformation is going to come or what that looks like for them. Um, and so it's your job to show up for them. That's my guest on today's episode, talking about the first time I met her and I saw her create a mic drop moment on stage in Toronto. Now, over the years, I've been following her and learning from her. She's one of my favorite people to go to for learning about online courses and teaching. And why I love her approach is that it's not just about the marketing side of it. She's actually a former college professor. And so what she's bringing is, how do you actually teach a course your students can finish? How do you actually teach a course that creates transformation for your students? It's not just about the online marketing side. It's about how do you become an actual teacher? And she has a big mission of teaching teachers how to be entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs how to be better teachers. And I know so many of the people listening to the show are interested in becoming online course creators. And I thought, who better than Dr. Lindsay Padilla to come on the show to talk about how to do that. And we also get into her mic drop moments. We talk about finding your F yeah students, how to attract those to your program. We talk about online courses, being a good teacher, and everything that it takes to really engage your students on this episode. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting. I was taking notes the entire time because, of course, I have a new online course and group coaching program I'm working on, and I want to get it right. So I was excited to do this interview. You can follow her at Dr. Lindsay Padilla on Instagram. You can head on over to lindsaympadilla.com. And for Mic Drop Moment listeners, she has a special little gift there. So you can go to go.lindsaympadilla.micdrop and she's put together the profitable course formula just for you. So go check that out. So without further ado, let's run those opening tunes and get to the episode. So you have a story to tell and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Benino. Well, I want to start off with this because why not start with big audacious things? I saw on your Instagram a video clip of you saying you want to help 10,000 teachers make $100,000 in revenue, which is a billion dollars. What is that about? In 10 years also. In 10 years. Okay, <laughs> not, let's put not it. like tomorrow. <laughs> You know what? Hey, you're you're into big things, so I don't know when you're going to do it by. Yeah. What is that about? It's a thing that hit me um, actually coming back from hanging out with some of my favorite uh, humans on the planet, um, and we kind of did a mastermind, and I came back from that, and I was like, I need, I need to tie to a bigger purpose. Like, a million dollars doesn't mean anything to me. I'm getting better at it meaning something to me, but um, <laughs> like weird money shit, right? 
Um, so yeah, I just, as a professor and as somebody who cares a lot about education, cares about public education, but also, you know, knows what it's like to be an educator as one of the kind of underpaid, um, and overworked professions, um, that, you know, shepherds in our next generation. It's, it's something that, I realized that I left the teaching profession not ever thinking I would start a business. It was all accidental. But I want teachers to know that they don't necessarily have to leave, per se, like I did, but that there's avenues to generate income and revenue that could help them sustain themselves, you know, get resources for them and their students so they're taken care of and so they have that kind of support and safety net that they're not getting from their their jobs, unfortunately. <laughs> You're going to help them buy the pencils that that the, the government should be helping them buy, essentially. <laughs> Which is sad. Like, buy this course online so I can buy pencils for my kids. But it's the reality of what's happening out there right now, for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, actually. I was I was listening to this, and I was thinking, like, oh, how strange. I wonder why the teachers just say, I'm not going to do it. And it's like, because mm -hmm. that's why they're teachers, because Correct. they want to help. Correct. And, yeah. like, they know it's going to – usually they're buying things because it helps them teach better and, like, create the environment that's better for their students. And it, and it's um, – yeah, the, the fact that their budgets are, are either non-existent in many places – um, or they're, uh, they're not enough, um, then they can't actually create the environments that they want to create, which I think creates that divide of like struggle of, of, yeah. of you know what I mean? Creating a, a welcoming classroom experience, which I don't think should have to be on their thing to worry about. Well, and it's it's part of probably where when they can't teach the way they know is going to be effective and touch the students, then the joy of teaching is no longer there. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. So that this is my little segue. This segue just came to me. That's part of what you actually help people do as course creators is hmm. because because I think the interesting thing, there's a lot of places out there to go learn about courses that involve yeah. planning for a year and very orchestrated uh, producing of videos. And you have a whole different approach that's like, be good at what you're good at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so where did that come from for you of, of there's this other way to build a course? Uh, it's funny because it was right in front of my face because it comes from my teaching career. But when I came into this space, I was like, oh, this is how people do it here because I was watching these other people teach it. And so I let other, you know, um, experts out there, course people who have created courses as entrepreneurs and marketers first because they saw how that could be helpful for their audience and how it could bring in a revenue stream. So they're like, this is how we do it now go do it people and buy my product that teaches you how. So I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, oh man, a lot of these courses suck. And it's like, I taught online for 10 years. And so <laughs> it took me even two, two and a half years of helping people make courses. Like I made them for them um, and uh, you know, help them through that. And it wasn't until I had a friend in a mastermind who had launched a course that did not exist to her audience, she sold 163 spots at 3.97 each, um, which is not chump change. And she comes to me and she's like, "So I just want to make sure I can take care of them. Can you, can you and your team come in and like help me make a course from what I do live?" And I was like, "Yes." And then I was like, "Oh, there's something here." <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of it. And and the reason why I say it's it's it was right in front of my face is because then I zoomed back and I was like. Oh, Lindsay, remember when you went to grad school and you downloaded all the professors like syllabi and you saw and you got like lesson plans online. 
oh, I was also just trying to figure it out. But the moment I showed up in front of those real live human beings, you can't practice for that. There's no amount of preparation that like, I mean, there's a little bit, but <laughs> that's like the magic. And then, you know, the lesson plans are out the window or you know what I mean? And you adjust on the fly. And I was like, oh, I was already doing that. And I was like, wait, why is anyone pre-recording a video and guessing what their students are needing help with when they should just teach it live? Because that's really how you learn by just doing it and make it better as well along the way. And so is it is is your idea that that they're teaching it live every time they're teaching it or they teach it live the, the first, first time? run? Yeah. So we call that like the beta, which is kind of like a minimum viable product and you do a testing in real life, real experience. Um, and but the process I teach, that's a little bit different. I, I definitely didn't come up with the idea of an MVP and creating a minimum viable product. But I would say what I what has been my stamp on it is this idea that um, most I think most people were teaching just be a week ahead of your students. So sell them, you know, get all, take their money and then um, be recording one week ahead of them. And what I find is that actually creates a lot of pressure that does not make for a good teacher either. And so I was like, oh, you don't even need to do that. Just like teach it live. And I can teach you how to look at those live lessons after the fact and make a recorded course that we all see, um, you know, pre-recorded and, and fancy and pretty, but make that after you've already taught it once. And do you find that that relieves a lot of pressure off of the course creator? A thousand percent. Like most of my students say that probably the biggest thing that they've gotten from being in Build a Better Beta was permission to go and um, the recognition that they were enough and they knew enough right now and that their presence as an educator and their care for, you know, being able to help that student was enough to carry them through that product. And so, um, and that it's actually the best, a win-win for both of you, like the student and the teacher. And so then it's just a, it's a reframe of, of what, some people thought was very scary to 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 teach um, live and to take someone's money and then they have to get a result. And so I said, okay, like let's like step back a little bit. What if that you didn't have to put that much pressure on it and you just showed up and like helped them and did whatever you could to help them get that result? That's what do, your job is. And do you? I, so here's one of the things I know for me is. I have a I have a list on my computer of all the courses I bought. Oh yes. I have a list on my computer that's the same size of all the courses I finished. <laughs> yep. I I think part and and I probably have a list of the same size of all the courses I will never finish. Correct. And I think that versus the idea that like oh I'm getting something live. Do you see that like right now the online course space has been here so long mm -hmm. that people want a little bit of a hybrid experience where they are getting some live experience. Yeah. And that's where I try to help people see that like that connection, what creates a, a true course experience. Cause I, I definitely talk about this a lot too, where I was like, a lot of people call courses right now. I get, I, there's some sort of, um, co-op. Like I want to take that word back because <laughs> I'm like, you have to also like show up and make sure the course like still is teaching people. You don't just get to create an online course and throw it somewhere and then be done with it. Um, because as a, a, I taught a community college level courses online my entire time I was teaching and yeah, you do a ton of front work to get that course up there. Um, and yeah, once you've done that, it's great, but there's maintenance that's happening during that whole experience <laughs> where I'm interacting with them in a discussion and I'm grading and I, and so I was really just taken aback by, oh yeah, these people are setting it and forgetting it. And, um, you know, and then the consumer market, I think, you know, as the, as the market of courses and online courses as a product has matured, um, 
now it's who can do it better, right? Like what does better and what does better look like? How does your student want to feel, right? How can you help them move through the content? And that isn't just like a series of well-shot videos and workbooks. I mean, there's typically some sort of engagement and check-in and process, like community piece, the community classroom piece. It's not the same as showing up in person, but um, you can recreate that in some scenarios online. So. I saw Seth Godin talking about that, about the, the oh, his, reason. His alt MBA is rad, yeah. like the structure he did, yep. And the reason that people pay to show up to things in that way is because of, because you could go find all the information online, Correct. whatever you want. You want to learn to be a better speaker. You want to learn to design a course. You, you can go get it all online. And in fact, you can go to Creative Live and get a lot of things very cheaply. Correct. But I think what people want more and more, and it feels like it's happening, is they want that sense of community. Mm. And 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 I've even struggled to see that with people who are designing courses, getting thousands of people in it, and then their community is a Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. yep. And there isn't that same connection that there is when the teacher's doing it live and there's yeah. actual real connection to where the students are at and what's next. And and I it totally makes sense that if the first time you do it, you recorded it three months ago mm-hmm. and you've never put a real student through it, then how can you have any idea what they exactly. might be feeling? <laughs> and I think that's the big downfall. And like, yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think, and what we do in like my, pro- my program in Build a Better Beta is we do have weekly Q and A's with them. So everyone gets their content all up front, which is another, there's lots of different ways to structure <laughs> programs, but um, they get it all at once. And so that's, I felt like I was like, look, I love teaching. Yes, there's people out there that are like, oh, like, like you don't need to show up that much. They're only paying you this many dollars. I'm like, yeah, but it's also the fun part. <laughs> I like, yeah. and so I kind of, that's how I, you know, show up. And like, I think there's lots of different ways to, to, you know, do it even better. And, and live events, a lot of people are incorporating in-person experiences at different points throughout the year. And I think that that is where things are leaning is that like real connection, um, to, to other people in the class and the teacher. And I think that, you know, if you look back at whoever your favorite teacher was, usually it's not even just that they, you know, um, were really good at lecturing or really fun or whatever, but you had some sort of like personal connection with Mm -hmm. them is usually what the memory is like, Oh, she believed in me. Right. When I was failing or she, you know, gave me this, or he helped me through this problem or saw this in me and, and encouraged me to go towards this subject. Those, that kind of engagement is what creates the favorite teacher in someone's mind. And it almost has, it has very little to do with the subject. Um, I think the subject can turn someone definitely be like, oh my gosh, I fell in love with the subject, but it's often the teacher that helps them fall in love with that subject. And so when you zoom out and say, oh, how could I be someone's favorite teacher online? Like that's how you create a lifetime customer and it needs that personal connection as much as you can. Well, and then it's also where the ability to come up with other products for those people. And it's like, you only need 2000 people and you just keep helping them with different things. Correct. And keep moving down the journey. Yep. Yep. It's probably hard to figure that out if you're not there with them. (laughs) If you just give them a course and run away, it's probably hard to figure out what they need next. For sure. For sure. Or like what's, yeah. And I, in BBB, I also teach a, a, like a feedback process, right? So where you're surveying people, throughout, not just when they enter into the course, which is likely the best chance to get a result of like feedback, but also at the end, but in the middle and every stage of the journey. So like every module has like, Hey, how was that module? Was there something that was confusing? And most people aren't interviewing at those stages. And so what's happening is I can go back and be like, Oh, I, 
I taught this so crappy, like no wonder why they don't get it. Like I didn't even mention that. And so, um, and then, yeah, other ideas from products come out where it's like, oh, if I went off on that tangent, that's a whole mini product or whatever. And so, um, yeah, that conversation, it, you know, surveying your audience and surveying your buyers is, is where that is, is really ideal to like be able to tap into what people need and want and how they're, how they're experiencing your product too. And so the, so your signature program, build a better beta mm -hmm. is, is it just for educators, just for teachers? No, I, I kind of say I help teachers become entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs become teachers in so many ways. Like, yes, a lot of educators are attracted um, to my work and I have, and even if they weren't in academia, for example, as professors or in, you know, K through 12 system, they often have years of experience. Like, so we just got off of a success call with one of our, our students and she's been a yoga teacher for 20 years. Mm. Um, and so she, you know, wanted to make the transition online three years ago. And she's just like, it it really resonated with me the way you talked about it because it wasn't a marketer. It was like someone who cares about their subject, the students. And so people that kind of connect with the word teacher, even if it's in a non-institutional way, are people who I tend to attract or they're very knowledgeable about something and they're trying to move online. But I definitely don't only market to educators, at least not right now, which... <laughs> I will say the 10 year vision to hit that number that we talked about at the beginning of this, it, you know, I probably will eventually shift into being really teacher focused. But right now I have a lot to do for, you know, entrepreneurs and experts as well to help them get their courses online. Well, I think that's what I mean, for me, I've never been a I've never been a teacher. I dropped out of college, so I'm not a teacher. But my entire life is teaching. Yes, it is. And so <laughs> I've been a say, trainer. I've been are. an educator. <laughs> yeah. I go and I speak on stage. I lead workshops. And so I think for for all of those folks out there too, mm -hmm. there's there's uh, something about this because for me, part of it is, you know, when I go and speak, I have a script, but I also use the audience a lot. And so this mm -hmm. idea of doing something live is really attractive to, mm. to me. When you knowing that there's a lot of uh, folks like me out there who are going to say, Ooh, this might be for me because the idea of sitting down and planning out 12 weeks and doing the videos sounds like a lot. And mm. maybe I don't want to do that. What should they look at to say, Ooh, I might be pretty good at this. I, I think I got the teacher bug. I think I got the teacher bug. I mean, I think uh, the teacher bug, how it shows up for me, I think it shows up differently for different people, but, and, and maybe you can reflect on that too. Like what it, when you were like, Oh, I'm, I really, I do enjoy teaching for me. It's like that light bulb moment when you can like <laughs> witness the transformation or because that's the moment you have them. And, and they're like, Oh my gosh, I never saw the world in this way. That's it. Like, it doesn't matter what subject <laughs> it's, I never saw the world like this. You've completely changed like my perspective. That's yeah. teaching to me. It's not just, do you remember a fact or can you write <laughs> a, a, you know, grammatically correct sentence? Like it's this other layer of like, yeah, perspective shifting. So like, I actually was surprised at what I saw in marketing and how much I was like, oh, marketing and like selling is teaching also. Like, mm -hmm. how can you shift someone's perspective of how they see something? So that's what I did with Build a Better Beta to use that example. It's like, oh, these people are teaching in a certain way. They've never taught in a live classroom. Here's my worldview shift. Like, you know enough and the videos and the platform you choose does not make you a good teacher, I promise. <laughs> and so then it's, that was the shift and people are like, oh, I'm so attracted to that idea, right? And so 
for me, if someone's like, I have the teacher bug, I mean, those moments, even in one-on-one clients, like if you're a coach or like a consultant in some, some way, when they have that breakthrough, um, that's probably what attracts you to helping them. Right. Yeah. And so, um, usually someone's like thinking that, oh, well, my one-on-one work, the reason why I'm able to get them that to that point is because it's one-on-one and they're getting, and, and I, I just, I know that that, that transition that they go through that transformation is, um, able to be put into a framework and likely help more people. It's just recognizing that they're, they're gonna, when someone thinks of a course and someone sitting at home alone, watching videos and trying to learn, it's true. There's, it's a way easier for them to get distracted and drop off. And so when they're one-on-one, it's a higher investment than like they're showing up and all the things. And so they're more likely to get the transformation, but the dollar amount exchange is different. So for me, if you can just tap into that, like moment of, uh, the light bulb moment is what I would call it. That's, that's like, you love seeing that and witnessing that in other people, you probably have some of the teacher bug is how I yeah. would describe it. I think so. And I, and I think for me too, it's, it's, you know, cause these days I'm teaching people storytelling and, and public speaking. And for me, it's the thing sometimes of that moment happens. And then it is this whole other life shift for them. Mm-hmm. Like yep. they realize, wait a second, I'm showing up this way in my marriage. I'm showing up this oh, way. Wow. Like yeah. At, the Starbucks or something. And it's like, this isn't just about how do you get on stage and be a better speaker? This is something that we just tapped into something that is fundamentally who you are yeah. and we just unblocked it. And so for me, it's it's that same light bulb moment, but it's the light bulb moment that leads to, Uh, oh, this ain't about talking. Yeah. Oh, that's funny that you say that because that's when I talk about, because I taught sociology, right? So um, I love that subject and it was so fun for me to teach it. And I felt like it's because I, I remember coming home and telling Derek, like, I don't teach about like different theorists and, you know, you know, how, how we organize society, whatever. I'm like, I just teach people how to become better humans. That's my only goal at the end of this, because we're in a society and we're living together and we're trying to figure shit out. Right. So at the end of the day, Derek's like, yeah, you're, you're a sign for socio- sociology should be like, don't be an asshole. Like, <laughs> you're, come, come learn how not to be an asshole. But it's true. And when I remove myself from the very discipline centric, like factoids and stuff, and I like got it to this core element of humanness, it's applicable in all these other ways, right? Like, and that's, it makes me feel like what I'm teaching has value and has an impact. And I think mm. that that's findable in, in every subject because my husband teaches physics and talk about like a subject that is just to, you know, blows like, <laughs> people are scared of it, but also is like mind blowing. It's like, I know he loves that because it unlocks this like whole other world. Right. And like what that means in so many other different aspects. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that that recognizing that knowledge is like interconnected to other things, um, is, is the key to it, right? It's connection. It's, it's love. And like, I mean, it's all the deep human stuff, right? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, we are these like holistic beings. So to think that like, oh, I'm learning over here how to, uh, how to run the camera for this thing. Well, I don't know. What does that unlock and what does that Mm -hmm. get to? And I think it's just, for some reason, we still so often look at the people we interact with in ourselves as like, there's this version of me and this version. It's like, mm. no, honey, it all connected. Like <laughs> if some stuff's going on over there, it's uh, it's doing something over here. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things all the time that comes up with, uh, with public speaking, especially when I go and work inside of corporate. Mm. And let's say that I'm working with some bankers 
and they're standing up. And I said, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> why can't you just connect? And it's like, oh, no, here comes the therapy. Because yeah. it is all connected, all mm-hmm, of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I think that people – and I'm seeing it more and more. I'm seeing it in, in Facebook groups and things that people are wanting that connection with each other and the instructor. I see yeah. – I, I was on a – um webinar listening to someone and she was talking about her program that was teaching some kind of online marketing thing. The number one question people asked besides the price, because she didn't say the price anywhere. The number one question people asked, how much time do we get with you? Yep. That's the number one question. Because I think at this point, if we just want to know how to run a Facebook ad, we can go learn that for free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're coming together because of the way you've curated it. And because we want you a little bit. Yep. Yep. And the people that are attracted to you also, because like the community piece, like you said. Mm -hmm. Well, that's so interesting too. the idea of how do you make sure that your course is attracting the right people people. to the classroom? Mm -hmm. I teach something we call it the F. Yeah student. I got it from, (laughs) oh gosh, I can't remember the book. The book is called Belonging. Um, I can't yeah. remember the author's name. It's really good. And it's, it's actually about making friends in adult life. But she's which is talks, hard, by the way. Yeah, which is super hard. And it's really beautifully um, drawn as well. I wish um, I wish I had the name. But so I took this from her because she called it the F yeah friend. And it's the person that's like, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Like, yeah, let's go do that. Right. Those cool friends that you have. So how do we turn that into the student? Like the student who's like, Lindsay, I'm just going to do whatever you say. Those make for great students because they trust you. Um, and there's all these other characteristics. So I make my students actually go through this process where they write down the characteristics of a student that would be awesome in their course. What kind of beliefs do they have? What values do they have? Work ethic, whatever. And then um, I have them actually create it for themselves too and say like, okay, what, like, what about you as a teacher? Right. And, and then you match up and say, are you showing up online in that same way? Mm. So if you're not consistent, but you want them to be consistent or whatever. And so this idea of just like modeling what we want to attract and that, that it's a constant process and that there's, um, it's not necessarily that we're bad people because we don't sh- live up to the you know expectations we have for ourselves, but just recognizing that um, we're growing, we're always growing, and that if we aren't attracting people that we like hanging out with, then look at like what are you putting out there and like how are you showing up? And so I took what she was thinking about friends, and I was like, okay, cool. You don't want your students to be friends, but like you want to attract people that like have similar maybe values and beliefs that you have in some ways uh, in your program, because that's going to create the environment where you're hanging out with these people pretty regularly. And it's such a different take than just sitting down and coming up with your ideal client avatar. Totally different. Yeah. It's not the same thing. It's not the same. This is more like deeper stuff. Like, yeah, definitely. And, and it's, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have a business and you're going to be dealing with people and you're going to be dealing with the questions and the things, mm-hmm. then do it with people you want to be around. Correct. Yeah. And you know, there's always going to be some interesting ones that get through, <laughs> but you can handle accordingly. <laughs> yeah. At least it's a rare occurrence versus, yes. oh my God, I hate all of my students. <laughs> like I don't want to go in that group. Yeah. That's yeah. Bad. It's, that's not positive. You, you are... You know, one of the things I really like is I, I see you always doing lots of creative things in service of what, again, I think it is that big mission of yours mm. with the with the helping teachers, because you also have something really cool called Podcast Your Course. I do. This is, I saw you talking about this and I thought, 
how is how is this not everyone doing this thing? I don't know many people <laughs> say that, which is like, oh shoot, this is something. Yeah. Um, okay. So we have something called Podcast Your Course. The name could potentially change in the okay. future, but right now it's very clear like what it does. It literally <laughs> turns your podcast into a or your course into a podcast. Sorry. Um, and we're at the stage right now where we're working on um a beta version. And we've gone into this potentially partnering with somebody who does like hosting already and is in the podcast world and we're just showing them a new market. So that is a possibility. But then we're also leaning towards maybe just literally creating a SaaS product ourselves, which scares me because I'm like, I don't imagine what it means to run a SaaS. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm starting to figure out this, you know, online course business thing. Um, and so we're in an in-between and within the next two or three months, there will be a beta version of the product out. But essentially the idea of it is like over a year and a half old. Um, people listening to this right now are people who have binged your podcast are like, have this already have this intimate connection to you. And they're likely doing very habitual things as they listen to you. They're walking their dog or they're, they're driving a certain way. I, I can remember, you know, moments, um, listening to Amy Porterfield was a podcast I listened to driving to work. And I can remember sitting in the car sometimes at lunch, like listening to something and taking notes. Um, and I can remember like certain drives. I listened to audiobooks, Right. And like, there's just, I can remember like, Oh, we were binging cereal. Like as we were driving from Northern California down to LA to see my family for Christmas. So I have these like weird moments. It's like music. It connects in a different way than watching video does. Yeah. And so, and that habitual piece I think is really key. And so because people don't get that with an online course. They buy it and they're like, okay, how can I get what I'm supposed to out of it? Like, how can I like take from this video? Um, but not only that, they have to like sign in and they have to queue it up and then, and then, oh, you're on a desktop. And so you're also checking Facebook when you zone out for a second, <laughs> right? So it's like literally the worst learning environment. Um, and so it, it, I can't believe it's taken this long, but this idea of making it into a feed and it being private and connected to individual students and um, that whole piece just hasn't really been applied to these expensive courses with videos and worksheets where people thought that this was the optimal way to learn. Oh, I'm hitting all the learning modalities. And it's like, <laughs> no one's downloading your MP3 files and trying to find them on a phone. Like, have you, have you done that? <laughs> like, it's just not happening. It's lost forever. Lost forever. So, um, so yeah. So I think it just took this time because podcasters have different goals than somebody who is maybe a course creator and not a podcaster first. Right. And so, um, but the course creators listen to podcasts and they're starting to be like, oh, I totally get what this would do for my students and for my, my, um, you know, my material, it, like getting them to consume it is like one of the hardest parts. And so it's, we've also learned stuff. So we've had our students have a podcast feed for build a better beta. And in their using of it, like someone even, you know, someone bought the course and was like, oh, Lindsay, I, I, after the holidays is when I can start. I have too much stuff going on. And I was like, what if I, all you did was listen to the podcast? And she's like, oh, I could do that. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to fill out a workbook. You don't have to take an action. Don't do anything. Just listen to the podcast. And yeah. they're like, and so we beat that objection of I don't have time. Um, <laughs> because what happens when someone says that, then they forget to check in. They forget that they wanted to accomplish this goal. And they so end up with a list of courses they need to take someday and never take. <laughs> we all have, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. And and so this idea that they could even, because I'm the type of learner as well, and some people are different for this. Like some people won't allow themselves to move forward unless they've done whatever the work they were told to do. That is not me. I like want to listen to all of it at first. And so that whole idea of like, where's this person taking me? What's the end result? Like, what? how do they see this whole process? Because it's not just, let me just watch the first video and then the next video. It's like, it would be cool to go to um, a four-hour lecture and learn it in one sitting. I don't have to take an action maybe yet. I don't have to do homework or take an exam, but I can like listen to a lecture. So when mm-hmm. you start to think about it that way, it's like, oh yeah, that would make me feel awesome. Like how awesome would you feel if you at least knew where the person was taking you and you could maybe recite a couple things? That would make you feel way more advanced than never logging in to the the platform ever. So that's where the like thought process behind it comes for sure. Well, so the idea would be they listen and then they can go back and do the Correct. worksheets when they're ready. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. like in higher education, if you remember, if anyone wants to think back to college, um, <laughs> a lot of the research as to why college professors set up their classrooms in that way. Um, one of the things I used to make my students do was take a re- like a quiz before they actually came to that week's lecture. So mm. the idea is that they're taking a quiz on something I hadn't even taught yet. And I actually didn't even, it wasn't weighted heavily at all. Um, but the, the research says that if the student even just goes and looks at like the headings in a textbook before they come to a lecture and like are sitting there, they have a higher retention of information because they have somewhere to put that information in like a schematic situation that's going on in the brain. I'm not a neuroscientist, but like (laughs) that's kind of what's happening, right? We have to have something to attach it to. And so we're pre-framing. So if the person just listens, even if it's something scary, like a Facebook ads course, where clearly the person is pointing at software that is (laughs) messy, you could still arguably have them listen to it. So then when they went in, there's some idea because they were already imagining it in their heads. Mm -hmm. So maybe they don't have to go through it perfectly, but they could like not be as scared potentially. Right. And so I think it's those kind of things. The learning platforms right now that we have have buttons at the bottom under every video that say complete, right? Mm -hmm. Like next. That makes the student be like, cool, I don't ever have to go back to that again. (laughs) Kind of not the the thing that we want to create when it comes to learning either. And so think about some of the types of courses we've taken where maybe, I don't know, there's some like really powerful mindset shift. What if you could listen to that over again and like re like experience it? And we're just not making that easy. That's the difference. And so there's pre-framing that you can set your students up with. And then there's the idea of just being able to listen to something again, like on the go when you could. It makes so much sense. When I used to teach, uh, I used to be a small gay and I was in charge of wine education for a big restaurant mm. group. And one of the things we would do when we were going to teach new things is we would have people look at the menu beforehand, or they would look yep. at the the details about the wine region. They would have to look at the map first. So when we got there, they were just filling in the blanks of like, oh, I wanted to know more about this, or I, I understand that. how this all fits. Now I remember that. Oh, this tastes this way. And I remember this uh, one of the things I think if anyone wants to learn about wine, you should only taste wine looking at a a, a topographical map because oh, as soon as you start to understand, as soon as you start to understand rivers, valleys, oceans, high mountains, low mountains, flat fields, you start to say, oh, I really like wine that comes from alluvial soils. I really like I love volcanic wine. So if I know I have that, no idea which one I like yeah. from a map so, perspective, yeah. So so what's really interesting is it makes yeah. it so much easier because then if you do go somewhere new and you say, 
oh, wow, I'm looking at this place. I've never had Israeli wine. You have a better chance of saying, I think I might know what it's going to be like. Ah. And it's, it's not that it's, it's similar to what you're saying of like, yep. well, that's why when you go to a wine tasting, it's like, look at the look at the color, swirl the glass, look at uh, smell it. It's you're trying to say, OK, how can I kind of uh, take what's in front of me, filter it down. So now that I'm filling in the blanks with the yep. extra piece of information yep. and you retain it so much better. Yep. So it, much better. I love that. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. All these little, all these little connections. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? One of the, what would you recommend? So some of that's listening, they're a, uh, you know, they're a speaker. They've got great content. Maybe they have a book. Uh, maybe they're doing workshops. What is the first step for them to kind of think through? I think I do. I think I could do a course with this. Mm. I love teaching and I love my topic and people pay me to show up and teach them in person, fly me around the country. When you work with someone, how do you say, okay, do you really have something you could do a course on? Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, I kind of, I kind of talk about this in like a, a workbook we created. It's called the profitable course formula. And it's this idea that, um, of course I focus on like the teacher and the student, but I also focus on like the problem you're solving. That is like the number one thing um, you want to think about in creating um, something that's sellable, right? Like, so I was a sociology professor. Um, mo- you know, half my students were like, I don't even know what this subject is. I'm just here because it fit my schedule, right? Or I heard yeah. it was an easy A. So, which is fair. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, like, the idea that you have to sell the thing, um, sell the transformation, the result, that means that someone's trying to solve a problem. And so, um, if you're looking, zooming out from kind of your topic that you teach on or, you know, speak on or have written a book on, um, working backwards from whatever transformation you provide for people, whatever that big aha moment is, like we talked about, like what, what are those things that you get people to see differently and how does that benefit them in their life? Right. And so working backwards from that and recognizing that you think you want to sell, you know, something that you enjoy to teach but you might need to repackage it as a problem that you're solving. Mm. Um, When on the inside, then they say, oh, the answer is this. Like, I don't really sell like, oh, I'm giving you permission to teach. I don't really sell that. Like I'm selling, like you will have an online course that will be a revenue stream and this is how much money you can make. And like, and you get your knowledge out there. Um, I do talk more arguably about teaching than other marketers on courses, but I'm not leading with like the permission to like show, like no one's searching that on Google or like waking up every day saying that. Mm. Um, And so a problem that they're sitting on a course for a while is something that I could talk about, but the solution isn't all the like nitty gritty gritty that I put people through in BBB. Um, They they, like learn more, the deeper stuff, the like bigger picture stuff by going through it, but that's not what I lead with. So I, I, I find that people who, um, yeah, speak on these like life-changing topics. It might be hard for them to wrangle like what problem do I truly solve? Um, but when you nail that, everyone thinks their problem that they're solving is not like, oh, but why would someone pay for that? We always can track it down to like people are paying for health, wealth, and relationships. It, those are the three <laughs> markets. So yeah. it fits into that in some way. And so then it's just nailing what exactly the problem is for your exact person. So those are usually like the first steps that I would say, but if you're speaking and have a book, like you have an audience. And so that is a good starting place. Um, uh, Because I do have a lot of people that come to me, maybe teachers, right? 
and they're like, they don't have an online following. So mm. they're starting from scratch in that way. But I'm assuming you are speaking and you have a book, like people kind of know you a little bit in some way. And yeah. so that you are starting in a, in a pretty decent place for launching a course. And you've probably had some reps that like, ah, I know I know the language that I say that gets people mm. to book me. I know yep. it's one of the things that happens when I'm working with someone who is maybe a new speaker or wanting to launch. It's like they they think that, oh, no, what I talk about, even this, I, I mean, I wrote a book about company culture and they think, oh, uh, company culture, company culture, company culture. And it's like, no, nobody's sitting around <laughs> uh, saying we need better company culture. What they say yeah. is everyone is an a-hole here. Hates each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't get along. We can't figure it out. We can't get yep. creative people. No one wants to work here. And the same thing actually happens a lot with the world of storytelling. Mm. Like nobody wants a course and certainly not a, 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 a higher priced course on storytelling because mm. what they want is what storytelling gives them. What it gets. Yep. And so the idea of like, oh yeah, I want to be a better, I've not run into anyone in the work that I do that hasn't said, ah, I love a good story and I want to be a great storyteller. But they wouldn't give me money to do that for them. Nope. What they really don't want is to be on stage and bomb. Yep. What they really don't want is to have a uh, to get in front of their employees and their employees to be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't care. Mm. That's what they really want. Yep. Telling a story is just a way to get there. And if they could do cartwheels to get there, they would figure out how to do cartwheels. It's not the methodology. It's the what I get from it. Yep. It makes so much sense. So you. Uh, you also have the the Wealthy Teachers podcast, yeah. Which is, I again, it has the word teacher in it. This is for teachers <laughs> of all kinds of teachers. It is, yeah. And like um, right now, we we talk about teaching online. We talk about our lives as business owners and as educators. I do it. I actually run it with my husband. He's co partner in the in the company, and so and he's a he's a physicist. So we both come from the college space, <laughs> and then I made him do this crazy thing with me and leave teaching. Um, he's actually going back. So that's a secret side note. Um, he's oh. applying to some jobs. Um, he's still going to help run the company, but not as obviously as full time. But yeah, so he he is excited to go back to teaching. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> so that's that good. Yeah. So, um, so it actually makes for, I think, a really interesting conversation um, from that aspect. And, and um we talk a lot about, yeah, how to create an online course business, how to teach, like a lot of what we've talked about now, like how to teach better thoughts we have about, you know, various aspects of online uh, courses and business. Um, but we bring on um, educators who have started business businesses. So we do share, we do have teachers who've become business owners. And then we have business owners who like are starting to see themselves as teachers and they run courses and their courses are a really important part of their business. And so I get them to talk about teaching and it's really a beautiful mirror of yeah. what business owners can learn from, you know, educators and what educators can learn from business owners, I think. And so just like, I'm kind of just like the bridge for that, I guess. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, and there are so many places right now where both are, are, people are going in both directions. People who are, True. who are teaching and speaking and training all the time want to have more of a business focus and people who are business want to teach something. What is the, in all your interviews and in your own work in this, what is the thing that someone who is on the business side, what's the big thing they need to learn from teachers to be better teachers? Oh, listen to your students and believe them. <laughs> That's pretty much, I would say like that, that's the biggest, like listen, um, and, uh, be 
like be who you are. There's also no reason to try to act like someone else. Um, most, uh, I learned that in teaching too. I mean, for a while you have to try to, you know, look older and look whatever, like all these things you're supposed to be. Um, and then I think when I really got good at teaching, when I was like, oh, I'm just a person who, you know, knows about this subject. And like, I have this role to play in this relationship, but when I was able to be vulnerable with them and share who I was as a human being, it did break down some of that like authority problems that we have in education. So I did a lot of stuff on like critical pedagogy and like all this other stuff and like in teaching. And so if I could communicate to um, like an entrepreneur who's like wanting to teach uh, the idea of being vulnerable, not needing to be perfect, not needing to be on a pedestal in any way, shape or form or knowing every single answer. Those are the big downfalls of, of like connecting because that connection is where the learning happens, I believe. And like, you know, cause again, like we, what we mentioned, like you can download a textbook and learn any subject, but like, <laughs> how good are you going to really be at that subject? And so the connection is, um, the, the teacher seeing the student, like as, as mm. for what they are and who they are and where they're at is what's missing in this space. And so people feel very anonymous online and like, oh, well, Lindsay's not going to know if I don't show up to calls, like who cares? Like I'm, I just bought this course that I'm not going to use. And I know I can't help every single person. There's no way that I could, but if I can just see and create those touch points and those like you know, safety nets for when they do fall and doubt themselves. That's my role as an educator is to see, to witness that, to see that and to know it's coming um, and to create that space for them to pick themselves up and keep going. Cause at the end of the day, I can't make them do anything, but it is, it is my responsibility to meet them halfway. And I think that that's where the conversation at the beginning of like setting it and forgetting it, you're not meeting them halfway in any way, shape or form. Yeah. If, if the intent was to help them, discover and learn something, just putting things in front of them doesn't do that. It's not where, yeah, exactly. doesn't finish the job. And it's, you know, there's a lot of research coming on that too, but like flipped learning classrooms and stuff is, it was an example of them changing that model. And the professor, he's a physics professor, I think at MIT, um, who realized that like his A students got A's when they came in and when they left and like it, he had no impact on most of his class and it was this big moment. And he's just like, wait, like what, 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 like, and so that happens here too. Like your testimonial success stories, like they probably were going to be successful. Right. Like you were able to guide them and that's awesome. I'm not saying that's not awesome. Um, and you gave them the tool and they succeeded, but it's the B, C, D students that you kind of have to be like, there's some missing piece. And usually in this space, it's like, they maybe bought the course a little too early. That's a big problem. Or like it wasn't truly their next step or a life thing happened, which is very common. And so just recognizing that, like, how can you um, adjust your content, right? To, to, to help them in that way. And maybe just reflect back to them what could be going on because they tend to blame themselves as, as well. Because the teachers, I think in the online space, it's like, we try to like, oh, I'm not responsible. Like I gave them everything they needed. They just need to do the work. And I'm like, there's, there, that's just, it's just never that simple. It's not just, they just need to do the work. So it's how can you create an, a learning environment that catches as much as that as possible? Well, that's so, that's true. Even when I work with people on um, a speech, they, they'll come in and, and I'll go to work with them in the idea. They don't even have the, they're not ready yet to be working on, Hey, I want to be more captivating on stage. And it's like, great. What's your idea? And it's like, you don't even know what your idea is. Yep. You just want to yep. be in front of people. And it's like, those are the times where I think, ah, you bought something you weren't ready for. 
And if I had just shoved you in an online program, you wouldn't have you gotten results. Tank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. It goes back to like I in school I was I always got A's and no matter what the teacher, good teacher, bad teacher, I got Garrett an A. Too. Yep. Yep. And so that is such a clear thing of like yeah, some teachers I liked better, some teachers I was really changed by, but I got an A no matter what. You made it work, it's yeah. <laughs> Don't miss a single mic drop. Subscribe to the mic drop moment. The first time I met you, you actually were talking about a moment like this of like really connecting with a student and what that meant to you. You were we met at the Archangel Summit and you were on stage for 3 minutes. 3 you had 3 minutes to really do this idea and I remember uh, I got to see you rehearse a little bit, and then I got to see you in front of, I don't know what that was, 5,000 people or something. Something close like that, yeah. And it was a mic drop moment that you had there. It was cool. Tell us what. Tell us about that story, because I think it highlights what you're saying so clearly. Oh, I'm like, now I'm like, the the like lions are coming back a little bit. Um, I haven't <laughs> said it in a long time. Yeah, so like my last semester was actually, oh my gosh, it was like probably exactly three years ago. End of, De end of December, fall finals week. Um, and, uh, I was walking out of the classroom and heading into this entrepreneurship thing and leaving teaching. So it was a big deal. And it was literally my last final that I had to teach. And, um, I had a, a student the week prior, cause I had presentations that my students had to give for the last day of finals. And he sent me a message basically saying that he wasn't feeling very good and that he might not make, uh, the final. And, um, he was in a group project, right? And there was other times that he kind of didn't show up um, mm -hmm. for this group. And so, you know, everyone knows group projects where like, you're like, dang it, we have the guy who's not showing up. And so I told his, his, his team members, I was like, if he doesn't come, it does not impact your grade. Like we had, we've actually had several conversations about that during the semester. And I set my group project up to be like that on purpose because the weight of, yeah, the A being on everybody who had to show up. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so um, I think I was the day before, no, like two or three days before that final happened, um, I got um, a message from a, a student that he had actually passed away over the weekend. So as we're getting our potluck stuff together for the last day of class, my um, uh, I had to basically announce that their classmate had died over the weekend. Um, and it was emotional. And I think I, I had the emotions of the leaving of the semester and being like, wow, I can't believe my last thing was like something you never imagine as a teacher, like having to, to say that this student is no longer with us. Um, and you know, fortunately we had each other and food and like, and all of that to kind of share, um, memories of, of him being in class and how, and what he was like. And my, my kind of big takeaway from that Yes, he was older. Yes, he was returning back to school. Um, he was a preacher, actually, and um, he decided to come back. He wanted to do something different in his life, and he just did his best and came when he could and, um, you know, apparently had some health problems that we weren't aware of. And so to just know that, like, sometimes the the education, like, why a student joins a class might not be to, like, get an A+, plus, but, like, he, he, there, there actually was other stuff where he actually 
was going to drop out in the middle of the semester because other teachers were mean, like mean and saying, sorry, you're failing. You need to leave. And I just had this feeling that I was not supposed to do that with him. Don't know what it was, but I was just like, it's fine. He can give it his best. And if he gets an F at the end, he gets an F because in college you can fail somebody and like have them drop out. But Anyways, so I didn't. And the idea that he stayed with us and like we were a part of, you know, the last few months of his life. I mean, that like held held some weight to it. And it was something that I um, felt like I needed to share with entrepreneurs as well, because a lot of them are teachers and just recognizing that, you know, the student who might not be on your testimonial page, it, you know, you don't know what they're taking the course for or what they're trying to do or when the transformation is going to come or what that looks like for them. Um, and so it's your job to show up for them and to believe them and be them for be, be there for them and see them. And um, I think that, yeah, I had, I had three minutes to communicate that. And it was a lot. Like, and even just even saying it right now, there's so much to the story and, you know, cutting it down to that amount actually made it really powerful, which was such a cool learning experience for me. The coaching I got from you in, in the ports was just mind blowing of like how we structured and what we told at the beginning and the middle and the end. And um, it was really cool. Yeah, it was a, it was one of those moments too, where being in the audience, you know, because I think a mic drop moment happens for somebody when they're like, oh my gosh, I did a thing. I said this, I, I was able to say what I wanted to say. Uh-huh. But I also think it happens for the audience when they feel something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and everybody was feeling, I remember being teary-eyed and touched. Yeah, so yeah you guys you. nailed it. Like the coaching you gave me about like where to pause and why. And like <laughs> that feeling, I was like, oh, like, because it feels like my story, right? Like it yeah. feels... And and it feels like his story too, but there, but there, the, the amount of people who came up and were like, oh, this how ha- this is my oh my gosh, I'm an educator or my right, and they just like that connection, and it's true, like, and that's why I like talking about teaching online in the teacher voice because people connect to that. Like everyone has a school experience, everyone, whether it was good or bad, right? And everyone has many people have people in education in their families, and so. Um, it's just that instant connection point that people can really, really relate to. Most people have a favorite teacher in some in some sh- like shape or form. So that that idea of like connecting to whether they felt like they were me or they felt like they were him or they felt like they were other people in that class in that three minutes, I was able to give them that something to like grab onto from from that. It was great. And that's one of the like really powerful things about storytelling is that mm. it really isn't about when you do it well, it's not about you as a storyteller. It's that you've involved the audience in a way that yep. they see themselves in it. And what's interesting is people want to be people want to avoid specifics because they think if I'm too specific, it won't apply to somebody. And the mm. opposite is true. Yeah. The more specific you are, the more I can say, ah, I know exactly what that's like. Yep. And when we're too generic with it, then it's hard for the audience to be like, wait, does she mean this or that? But really going in, and and that's where that vulnerability that you were talking about that great mm. teachers need. I think great storytellers and communicators need that too. Mm, I love that. All right. So talk about delivering value. How was that interview here on episode number 11 with Dr. Lindsay Padilla? She is my go-to course creating guru. She's got it all figured out. If you are interested in figuring out as well, you can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Lindsay Padilla. You can also go check out the profitable course formula she put together for you which you can find at go.lindsaympadilla.micdrop. Of course, those are in the notes for you as well, so you can check that out.
out. And as always, thanks for checking out this episode. If you loved it, it would mean a lot to me if you headed on over to iTunes and left a review telling everybody that you love the show so they can find it as well. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeGanino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeGanino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 